Are you enjoying the Culture on Fire podcast? Well, if listening in once a week is not enough for you, then you'll love today's guest because not only is she the editor of a couple of amazing magazines that we love, she is also the producer and one of the hosts of the Quilt and Tell podcast. Here we go. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I share the stories of inspiring quilt teachers, speakers, designers, artists, authors, and everyday quilters who have a heartwarming story that will bring you more joy and less overwhelm in the quilting studio. My guest today is Tracy Mooney. When I first met her recently at Quilt Festival in Houston, I learned firsthand why quilters find it so cool to meet a podcast personality and hear their voice in person for the first time. You've been listening to them for a while. You start to feel like you know them. It's kind of hard to believe you're meeting that person behind the voice on the podcast. Tracy Mooney is the editor of Quiltmaker Magazine and Fonz and Porter's Quick and Easy Quilts. She is producer and one of the three hosts of the Quilt and Tell podcast with Lori Baker and Ginger Sheehy Taddock. She thrives in her roles because she is a deadline-driven writer and journalist with over a decade of experience. So let's take a listen to her story. Tracy Mooney, welcome to the podcast. Yay, I'm so excited to be here. It's so nice to have you here. I always love it when I have someone on the podcast who I know and I've met in person. You've been quilting for such a long time. So what got you started in quilting? I actually wanted to make a quilt from the time I was four. <laughs> and it's the oddest thing to me that that was one of the being a kid and that being something I wanted to do. My mother and my sister both made garments. And so we, I grew up around sewing machines and fabric and all of that. And one day, I think my mother was just trying to keep me busy. And she took two squares of fabric. One was cotton and one was flannel. And then she put the flannel inside the cotton, folded it in half so it was a triangle, and then showed me how to make a whip stitch. Aww. And she told me we were making a quilt. And I remember going back to her days later, every day for a week or something like that, saying, when are we going to finish the quilt? When are we going to finish the quilt? And now I know that obviously we weren't making a quilt. <laughs> <laughs> she was just trying to keep me busy and probably work on my fine motor skills, but it just planted a seed yeah. somehow. And so I didn't actually make my first quilt until my oldest son was born. Uh -huh. But while I was pregnant with him, I was on bed rest for five months. Oh. And back then there were some TV shows on PBS. So there was Eleanor Burns. Yep. And then there was a show called the American Quilts. And I watched all of those and I ordered the book Quilts, Quilts, Quilts by Diana McLuhan and Laura Nouns. Yeah. And that was it. I, while I was pregnant, I didn't make anything. I didn't have a sewing machine or anything like that, but I read all the books and I watched all the shows. And then after he was born, I started to quilt. And quilting has been something that's really evolved for you over the years. So, I mean, here you are, an editor, producer, the whole show. So how has quilting shaped your life? <laughs> oh my goodness. It has become all encompassing, but I've realized that it is, it's funny when you're a quilter and when you, and it actually becomes your work, you sometimes, at least for me, it has still become one of those things where I ask myself, what is my place 
within the quilting world. And I've realized that my passion is completely about making content for other quilters. So while I was young mom and I was making quilts and I was doing a lot of handwork, I hand quilted everything because that's what we did back then, because we're talking 30 years ago. And I had a, a little fabric store that was two blocks from my house that had about, oh, I don't know, the cotton was about five feet of cotton in the entire store and fabric was about $2 a yard. And so I, if I scraped together a few cents here and there, I really only needed a couple of dollars in my yeah. weekly budget to buy a little bit of fabric. They didn't have a huge selection and sometimes there was polyester, but that was back in the day when if you saw a color you liked, you had to buy it because Mm -hmm. they didn't make all the colors. There wasn't a huge selection and oftentimes the cotton was a polyester blend. And so I would just save a little money here and there, buy a little bit of fabric. I also had a library a few blocks away. So I would go to the library and I think I took out every single quilting book they had. So then I realized pretty quickly that I was starting to dream quilts. (laughs) It just became part of my life. And anything that had to do with quilting, I wanted to know about. So I got all of the books from the library. I got all the magazines at the store. I watched all of the shows on TV and anything to have to do with quilting, I immersed myself in. And back in the day, I remember actually having a subscription to American Patchwork and Quilting. And they had a person on staff, and I believe her name was pronounced Laura Banky, and she would make color options. And I remember wishing I had her job because I just thought that sounded amazing. But I also would think, well, Tracy, you're never going to get a job in a magazine. You don't have any magazine background. Yeah. And so I didn't know how I could get from here to there. (laughs) And so I just kept making quilts and I think I've tried almost every technique. Like I just have immersed myself in quilt making. So years pass and I had an idea for a book. And it was back when in the United States, we had this huge scrapbooking craze. Scrapbooking stores popped up all across the country. And being a young mom, I had all these great photos of my kids and I thought that scrapbooking sounded great, but I didn't really want to play with paper. (laughs) So I figured out a way to make fabric paper. (laughs) I fused two pieces of cotton together and it made it really kind of firm and and paper-like. And I started using all of the things that I could find in the scrapbooking store on fabric. So I actually still have a lot of those pieces. I came up with a book proposal. And I remember hearing somewhere that if you wanted to write a book, you should look at the books you have and look at the publishers and and approach them first. So my favorite books were by C&T Publishing. And and what's funny to me is now I know everybody over there, yeah. you know, I review their books all the time. So I, but I put together a whole submission package and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to mail it. Like you had to mail all of your pieces. You had to actually write the first chapter, the last chapter, you had to have an outline and you had to send in all of your samples. Mm-hmm. And I got kind of freaked out about it. Like, yeah. 
I'm going to send this to a company and then are they just going to steal the idea? Like, what is it going to be? And so, (laughs) and this is, I don't even know what year this was. It was either the late nineties or the early two thousands, maybe early two thousands. Yeah. And at the time, the big news was about Paula Nadelstern. She's a quilter who created all of these beautiful kaleidoscope quilts Yeah, and they hung in Houston every year. And one day she got off of the elevator at the Hilton in Houston, stepped out of the elevator and looked out at the carpet and it was her quilts made in a carpet. Oh my goodness. They completely copied her design. Oh no. So she actually had to sue them. Oh my goodness. And she won. So at the time I knew that the story was in the news and I decided that I would email her. Uh (laughs) I didn't know her. But I found her email online and I emailed her and she actually wrote back. Oh. And I just asked, I don't understand how this works. And I'm really worried about copyright. And are they going to steal my idea? And she wrote back and we actually wrote back several times to each other. She was very helpful. Oh. And it was probably my first introduction to how amazing the quilting community is. Yeah, Everyone just shares what they know. So she eased my fears and told me it was fine that they couldn't print what I made. And I sent it in. And I got my first rejection letter, (laughs) (laughs) which was fine. It was fine. I was, I was like, oh, darn it. But, but that sort of got me going in that direction. (laughs) And also at this time we had Yahoo groups. Anybody remembers those, right? Or there were like message boards and you could interact with people and you could post things. And I happened to meet Jake Finch. Jake Finch was, she had written several books with C&T and one day she had posted one day a week, you could post what you sell, like your products and you could post it in the group. And she posted that she had a new book. And if you bought it, you got an assigned copy. So I purchased one of her books and we became internet friends. She was probably one of my first internet friends that I had, you know, never met in person. Yeah. And so, so time passes, we're friends online. I took a really interesting role at McAfee, the antivirus software company. Okay. I was their cybersecurity mom. This is the start of all the mommy bloggers going crazy. Yeah. And they hired me to blog for them and talk about cybersecurity as it pertains to children. And I had no experience in this. It was, it's the craziest story of how I got introduced to them and what happened. But essentially they had a, a program where they were doing this thing called the spam experiment. It was a month long. And if you got chosen, they picked people who they would send a computer to and you had to surf the internet for an hour a day and then blog about the experience. But you had to go looking for like dangerous spam and things like that, like clicking on random links and being brought to websites and, and things like that. And then they set up interviews with people with media. And I got picked to do one of the interviews at first. And the reason why I decided to do it was my son was about to graduate from school and he needed a computer. And I just thought, oh, well, they give you a computer at the end of this. Like, I'll try and do this and yeah. we'll get a free computer. It'll be great. And I did the first interview and I did really well. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) 
this is what you love. <laughs> I kind of have a background in public speaking. So, <laughs> so it went well. And so the next time they had another interview, they called me again. And then they called me again. And then they called me again. So I got interviewed by the San Francisco Chronicle and the oh, Chicago awesome. Tribune and all of these big things, right? So they decided that they really wanted to have a mommy blogger and hired me. I was like the best gig I have ever had. I got paid tons of money. They sent me all over the country. I got to fly to Las Vegas for the consumer electronics show and I got free stuff and it was amazing. So I did that for five years and suddenly within a few months, my contract came to an end. This was in January of 2012. Mm -hmm. And I posted on Facebook. And by this time, Jake and I had become friends on Facebook. And I knew like she had worked for Quilter's Home magazine. Mm -hmm. And then they shuttered that magazine. And when they shuttered Quilter's Home, she and Melissa Thompson Marr, who both worked for the publication, realized there was an audience and no magazines to cater to that audience. So they decided to create Generation Q magazine. Okay. And I was part of like, I think I did the Kickstarter and stuff like that. So I was interacting with her on that. But I remember one day I messaged her because I thought, what do I love to do? I love to read quilting books. I wonder who writes reviews of quilting books. Mm-hmm. And so I messaged her and <laughs> she said, well, we usually do that in-house. And I said, oh, Okay. so they launched generation q and she knows i'm out of work and may comes around and they are going to their first quilt market and she sent me a note and she said hey i'm wondering if you would be interested in coming to quilt market and helping us out in our booth and you can bring resumes and when you take breaks go and meet people and drop your resumes off. And the only thing is you've got to pay your way to get to market. So I talked to my husband (laughs) and at the time, both of us were unemployed. He got laid off in January and my contract ended in January. It was terrible. And so I think at the time we literally had barely two pennies to run together, but he looked at me and he was like, you need to go. Yeah. So I did, and I went to market and it was my first market and it was insanity. Like you're meeting all of these people that you've read their books and you've purchased their fabric and seen them on TV or follow their blog. And I was completely gobsmacked. Yeah. And I brought my resumes, but I think I got there Friday. And the hotel that we were staying in had like happy hour where they had wine, a wine bar and Melissa and Jake sat down with me at the wine bar. And I swear after the conversation that I had with them, there was some kind of sentence that came out of my mouth that I remember was an outer body experience where I pulled together quilts from the pioneer days to modern quilts to, I just put together this incredible sentence of my knowledge of quilting. And as soon as I finished the sentence, I went, huh, I think they're going to hire me. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And sure enough, 
they offered me at first the position to just write book reviews. And it wasn't a lot of money. It was just to sort of get my foot in the door. By the end of that weekend, we had come up with the idea for We So Too, which was what I essentially did at Generation Q to start the whole time I was there, which was designing projects that were specifically for kids learning to sew. And so that's what I did there. I worked my way up to senior editor by the time the magazine was done. Oh, that's so great. So you've mentioned your mom and your first stitches and a couple of the incredible quilters along the way, but do you have anyone who was real creative inspiration for you in your quilting journey? No, I don't come from a line of quilters. My grandmother crocheted. And like I said, my mom and my sister both made garments. My sister was probably the most creative person I think I've ever known in my life, like besides me, but we were incredible. Like my whole family is pretty creative. My father's an architect or was an architect. He passed away, but he was one of the architects who worked on the world trade center in New York city. And so, so he was very creative in that sort of analytical architect engineer sort of way. And I have a brother who is a fine artist and he can do anything with wood or any, really any material. he's really incredible. He's also a painter. And another brother was an actor. He got out of acting after college, but he was an actor and my sister could make any garment just by looking at it. Wow. And so that's sort of where I came from. I think my mother had a very strong desire for her kids to be artists with no regard to how much money you could make being an artist, <laughs> which wasn't really very practical. And so I started dance lessons when I was two. And then I went to a performing arts high school and was an actor and did commercials and things like that when I was older. Yeah. And so I discovered pretty quickly after getting married and leaving the house that I always needed to have some sort of creative outlet. (laughs) And so that was just something that I think was part of our family growing up. Yeah. So nowadays, how would you describe the type of quilting that you do? Do you gravitate to one style, modern or scrappy or? I'm still all over the place. I gravitate towards traditional quilt blocks done in modern fabrics, if that makes Ah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Can you describe your studio to us? We always love to hear what kind of (laughs) space you work in. Sure. So I actually, in the past two houses I've had, I've always had a big space. Yeah. And when I took this job and I moved to Colorado, we completely downsized from a 3000 square foot house to a 1200 square foot apartment, two bedrooms. And our youngest daughter lives here with us. And so that is tricky. (laughs) So I currently in my living room slash office in between the two spaces is my giant sewing table, which is a koala cabinet that folds. So it's not really huge all the time, but it at least gives me enough space to have a big cutting space and my sewing machine there. And then the rest of my supplies are all through the apartment. (laughs) And I have a map where I wrote down everything, where everything is. So basically I've got two bookshelves in my bedroom. One has fabric on it. And then the other one is all books. And then in between there's sort of one of those cubby cabinets where you have like little bins that you can put in and out. And I've got little fabric bins in there that I've got some of my fabric stuff. I've got a platform bed 
And so underneath, I've got more fabric storage in there and I've got notes about what's in there. And then I've got another decorative cabinet that has my TV on top, but underneath is all goodies. Yeah. My AccuQuilt is in there and I've got some more supplies and bins and some projects that are in works in progress. And then I've just got some other stuff in my closet, but that's where I've got the majority of my things. So it is a kind of a weird situation. That's a great idea. Actually, it's like a strategic plan. If you have a, yeah. a space, that's not as big as what you're used to. That's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. And I actually got the idea from Paula Nadelstern about the bed. Oh. She used to keep her fabric under her bed and then would pull out her featherweight at night yeah. and work on her kitchen table. But you know, it's doable. Yeah. And my kitchen Island is awesome because it's nice and high. And so sometimes I'll just put my cutting mat on that and work there. But for the most part, since before Christmas, I have my sewing cabinet completely open with the, it's got one of those tables that pops out of the back and I've got my cutting mat set up there. So that's how I work. Okay. So you mentioned Gen Q magazine, but you also mentioned teaching kids. So, Mm -hmm. so tell us about that. Mm. So that was a really interesting situation because I always had an interest in teaching kids to sew, but my personal experiences weren't so great. So my oldest son would sit on my lap and he would help me hand quilt. Like he would pull the needle out and he would unthread it every single time. And I'd have to rethread it and then do another (laughs) stitch. And so he was always interested. And then my second son came along and when he was about eight, he wanted to learn how to sew. And at this time we lived in California and Los Angeles and well, Santa Monica. And I worked at a quilt shop out there and we had this amazing teacher who worked at the shop and she did a whole kids camp thing. She had a monthly kids class and then did week long programs in the summer with kids. And somehow in my mind, I decided that I was not the best person to teach Bryce how to sew. Like I I, clearly, I didn't know how to do it. So I needed to have Capril do it. And so I signed him up for a class. And he was probably the youngest in the class and he goes in and I'm working that day. So I'm in the store 20 minutes into the class, he comes out (laughs) with Capril and she's got this look on her face. I'm like, he ran over his finger. Oh no. So Bryce never touched a sewing machine (laughs) after that. Right. So, and, and he's a chef now, so he plays with knives all the time. So then Sydney comes along. Sydney is little at this point. And we moved to Illinois and I worked in another quilt shop and that quilt shop, the owner loved to give the employees great discounts. That was what she would do because she just figured she couldn't pay that much, but she could give a great discount. And that included sewing machines. And she brought in Janome and Janome has these great little children's sewing machines. And when she placed the order, she asked all of us if we wanted them. And I think they're about $80 machines. And, and she gave us the wholesale price, which was $25. Oh, wow. And this was years ago. This was yeah. literally at least 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah. And so everyone got one and I bought one for Sydney. She was two at the time. <laughs> I knew she wasn't going to use it yet. But when she got to be about four, I was actually starting to work at Gen Q or it was right, right around then. I guess she was a little bit older. Maybe she's six. But anyway, so she gets interested in the sewing machine and 
I figure, okay, well, I'm going to have to teach her because I don't want her to run her finger off (laughs) again. So, so that whole experience was transformative to me. So here is a, a little story of something that happened that changed the way I thought about teaching kids and kind of planted the seed. So one day I was working from home writing and I literally needed 20 minutes to finish what I was writing on. And it was almost dinner time. So I'm rushing and Sydney toddles in and she's however old she is, five or six. And she says, mom, I want to make something. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? Because I need 20 minutes. So I look on my desk and there's one of those mini charm packs, two and a half inch squares. And so I took the pack and I handed it to her and I said, okay, pick nine fabrics out of this stack. And I'm going to teach you how to make a nine patch. And so she sits at my table and she starts breaking open the pack and she starts picking out and rearranging. And I showed her that you need three rows of three and they need to look good together. Yeah. Well, she played for that 20 minutes <laughs> with those fabrics while nice. I finished typing. Yeah. And so I finished writing. I turned to her and I'm like, okay, I'll teach you how to sew it together. And she's like, that's okay. I can go to something else now. And she toddles off and I'm like, huh. <laughs> all right, that was enough creativity for her. Yeah. And so it just made me think about how to break something down into steps. Yeah. And then also how much attention span she had. And so when we came up with the concept of putting a pattern in every issue that was specifically for teaching kids to sew, we realized that on the staff, there were several people who had kids. The problem was that they ranged in age. And I'm going to correct myself because I know I said she was four, but I believe she was six. Okay. We ranged in age from six to 15. Mm -hmm. So in each issue, not only did I need to come up with a project, I needed to come up with a project that was doable for kids of all ages. And so that was always in the back of my mind. So I would pick something and then it would have some element where maybe they made it in felt and glued it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they did embroidery on it, but it was somehow adaptable. So around that time, I actually started teaching kids classes in person at my local quilt shop too. And (laughs) that was an interesting experience because now they're not my kids. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is, I'm not sure I'm going to have the patience for this, but it turned out to be the most rewarding thing. Yeah. And it just lifted my spirits every, every month. Yeah. So it was fun. And when we were talking before you mentioned something about hoop projects, what's that all about? (laughs) Ah, so at the same time, I actually started pattern testing for pickle pie designs. Lisa Archer is the owner of pickle pie designs. She designs projects that are specifically done in the embroidery hoop using your embroidery module. to create some sort of project. And she's really brilliant about it. And so I started by, by just testing patterns for her. And I don't even know I was that good (laughs) to begin (laughs) with, because it's really hard when you're a novice in Mm -hmm. a medium like that. But after a while of working with her, 
she could send me a file and I could tell her if the machine missed a, a segment or something wasn't quite right with the pattern. So she and I actually started designing, we designed a quilt together and it was a kite quilt. Yeah. I'm actually looking at it right now, but it was so much fun to teach an embroiderer how to quilt and yeah. about quarter inch seams and things like that. And her projects range from mug rugs and, and little zipper bags to purses and quilts and all kinds of things like that. It's just, it's one of those things that it was a real joy. I was really sad <laughs> to stop working uh, with her because I just, I adore her. And I was, it was a very incredible creative outlet. Uh, and you have such a fun job now. Well, mm-hmm. quilters might think it's so fun, but is it so hard? <laughs> I mean, tell us about that. How, it, it's gotta be difficult to have uh, two magazines and a podcast on your plate a as lot. a job. Yeah. <laughs> It it is a lot. So like I said, when Generation Q shuttered, I was senior editor and, and I say I was senior editor, but I was still learning a lot about creating a magazine. Mm -hmm. I I still had an editor in chief who basically told me what to do and when things were due and all of that. Yeah. So our good friend, mutual friend, Terry Lucas actually told me that F&W was looking for associate editors. And I was like, well, I don't want to move to Colorado. And she's like, Oh, just send your resume in and just see what they say. Yeah. So I submitted my resume. The HR person called me pretty quickly and I had a phone interview and then she told me that I would, you know, talk to this person. So, so I think you've passed this one. I'm going to set up an interview with this person. And then if that goes well, you're going to interview with this person. And it was sort of this tier. And she told me the names of the people and what their positions were in the company. So she calls me or she emailed me a few days later and I've jumped over four interviews and she wants me to meet with someone very senior. And I'm like, yeah, what is happening? (laughs) So I had that interview and then it was just mayhem for months. I interviewed for probably two or three months with F&W and they ended up flying me out here and I had 12 interviews in about a two-day period. It was crazy. Wow. And I left and I wasn't sure if I wanted to move. It was going to be a big deal. And when they ultimately offered me a job, it wasn't an associate editor. They offered me an editor position for two magazines. And I just thought, are you insane? But I thought about it and I knew what their goal as a company was, which was to get a little bit, add a little more lifestyle to their magazines and beef it up a bit. And I knew that that was my skill. And so I took a leap. It was my husband and I luckily are both kind of the same cloth. We like to say yes to things so that we never have to wonder what if. Yeah. And his opinion was that we had moved three times for his job and he was totally fine moving for mine. Oh, that's great. So it all worked out, but it has been a huge learning curve. Plus I was learning a whole new company and they had a whole different system from what I was used to. So it was a lot and it's been a lot, especially with all the changes at our company. I think I can, I can say F&W went bankrupt and then the company was purchased. And so we're a completely brand new company now. We still have the old titles, 
but we're a completely brand new company. And even we've had staff changes and, and we have a new CEO now. And so it is, it has been a lot throughout all of these changes because we lost so much staff and a lot of things fell out like the podcast. I had just been a host of the podcast, but I had lots of ideas about So it sort of naturally fell on my shoulders that I would take over producing. And that just means really, I'm just in charge of who the guests are and all of that. But I always say that when you're editor of a magazine or even work for a quilting magazine, people think you sit around in quilts all day. (laughs) And nothing could be farther from the truth. I actually created a whole guild talk around what it takes to create a magazine because I just thought that's actually a friend of mine took over doing the bookings for her guild. And she said, I think this might be interesting. Yeah. Why don't you put together a talk talking about how to make a magazine? So I actually created a whole thing. I mean, it takes about eight months to make um, a magazine. Yeah. We start with doing a call for submissions. There's a theme. I do a call for submissions, asking for exactly what I want for a particular issue. Mm-hmm. And then we choose quilts based on what comes in. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get exactly what we want. And we have too many to choose from. And sometimes we don't get that many. Yeah. And actually, it was funny at Christmas time, I got a complaint because I didn't have enough Hanukkah quilts. And I only had two to choose from yeah. <laughs> and one got stolen by another magazine. So I only got one. So yeah. it's just, that's the way it works. So, and then really we have to write in-house every single word on every single page, proof it. We write the patterns, we create the diagrams. We make sure that a person can actually make the quilt from the instructions yeah. um, as best we can, because there used to be staff where people would make the quilt yeah. and double check it, but we don't have that kind of staff anymore. So, but it's, it's a lot of math. <laughs> Some days I go, how did I get a job where I do this with math? I don't get it. But other times I just, I love it because I love, I love creating content and yeah. whether it's the podcast or a magazine or, or shooting a video because we do videos too. Sometimes I love it. It's kind of cool to hear the behind the scenes look at what it's like to work at a magazine, but what's your favorite part of the quilt curation process when bringing quilts into the magazines? It varies from each magazine. And I would say after the first year I was here, I actually hadn't made a quilt and I couldn't quite figure out what it was. Was it the new space? Was it because I didn't know where things were? And then I realized that every time we write a pattern, It's like making the quilt. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes I'll see a quilt and I'm so excited to have it in the magazine. And by the time I finish writing it, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to make that quilt. (laughs) Other times I will, we'll pick one and maybe it's just a filler one that I think, oh, well, that'll match. Oh, that's a cute one or whatever. And then by the time it gets here and it's made in the fabric, because sometimes it's just an EQ mock-up or yeah. a drawing. Sometimes people just draw on a piece of paper and send yeah. that in. Or by the time I see it, I'm like, oh, that's fun. Like <laughs> I need to try that technique. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's part of it is just picking things that I think people will like. Yeah. It's, it's tricky though. Yeah. It's tricky. <laughs> and sometimes I get caught up and I make, I pick too many that are too modern or I pick too many that are too hard or yeah. and I just try to keep a nice variety so that there's something for everyone. Yeah. So you produce two magazines. So what's the difference between the two? Ooh, very different. So from the beginning, when I was brought on, 
I was made editor of Quiltmaker magazine and Quilty, okay. two very different magazines. And I'd still say that the magazines that I work on are still very different. I still work on Quiltmaker. I've worked on McCall's in between. And then I was asked to help create Fonz and Porter's quick and easy quilts. We actually, when the company was sold, we decided that we had too much overlap with some of the publications we had. Yeah. And they decided to shutter several easy quilt type magazines on a pre-cut patchwork and easy quilts and quick quilts. Yeah. And make one. And part of it was just because we didn't have the staff anymore, but also part of it was just, it was, there was so much overlap and it was really hard to get that many different submissions on magazines that were close in what they were yeah. like. Quiltmaker magazine was always supposed to be a quilt magazine that was for more advanced quilters. So in that magazine, I have got so many choices of what I can do more so than any other publication that we produce. Yeah. I can have embroidery designs, machine quilting, foundation paper piecing, embellishments, all kinds of things that sort of challenge quilters and expand the techniques that they're trying. More recently, it's been interesting because I've been getting a lot more beginners picking up that magazine. So oh. I have to actually shift again a little bit and make sure that we've got easier quilts that anyone can do. But I was also brought in to start making quilt maker. Now quilt maker is 40 years old. It is. It's been around for a really long time. And the goal when I was brought on was to actually make it more about the quilt maker. So I started incorporating designer profiles in the magazine. So we usually do about three different profiles within the pages. Sometimes not if I don't get enough new designers or haven't done something. I've done a lot. (laughs) We have a lot of repeat designers that work with us. And then we started doing an artist Q&A in that magazine as well. So we've done profiles on like Carolisle Shaw was the last one that we did. And, yeah. um, and I've actually gotten some great feedback on that one. Quick and easy quilts is supposed to be what it is. <laughs> and it's funny because when we created it, what we wanted was we were kind of tasked with making this magazine. So we were like, well, what would we want in a magazine? Yeah. So we decided that we wanted, if it had to be quick and easy, then we wanted things that sort of expanded our creativity. So we wanted little blurbs about the designer and what maybe why they made it, or if they had a family story around it, there are sometimes recipes in it, never more than two, but sometimes there's recipes in it. And the few that I've tried making at home were delicious. And then we've got things like easy quilts that you might be able to practice your quilting on. And so we've done layouts with different options for quilting. So we just try to make it as beginner friendly and fun and have things because everybody needs a baby quilt. Everybody needs like, there's always a quilt of valor in it. And we always just try to put a little bit of everything in it. So it's, it's a fun, like it tries to be fun. Yeah. So So, that's what we are. So having, I've spent a lot of time with you in Houston. We had so much fun together hanging out. I discovered that you're sort of an award-winning drink maker. So tell me about that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're going to go there, are we? (laughs) So... sound like an alcoholic. Huh? <laughs> no, no. no, it's a refined. Yeah, it was, it was so fun. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> well, and we're, when Terry Lucas was with us. So Terry yes. and I are fans of bourbon and wine. Yeah. yeah. And so, so I actually brought the makings for Manhattans 
And Terry will always mention smoked Manhattans. So years ago, I went to a restaurant and this is when we were working at Generation Q together. And I went to a restaurant that was kind of this gastropub. It was super <laughs> famous. They had a whiskey bar and they had a thing called the smoked Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And luckily we were sitting right near the bar where the, the bartender was preparing the drinks. And so I ordered the smoked Manhattan and I was like, what's a smoked Manhattan? Like, I like a Manhattan, but I don't know what that is. So what they ended up doing was they had a piece of a cedar plank and a torch, like a kitchen torch. And they torched the plank and then they put the glass over where they had set the fire and smoke filled the glass. And then he made the Manhattan and poured it in the drink. And when they brought it over to me, it was like an all encompassing experience, right? When you brought the cup up to your face to take a sip, it was, you got this smell of a campfire. And so she and I, like I told her, I told her immediately, oh my God had this drink. It was amazing. And I know how to do it. (laughs) So I started making them at home. Now we always had a cocktail in Generation Q magazine in every single issue. And so at first, Melissa Thompson-Moore always made the drinks and because she's, she's also very good at, you know, coming up with something interesting. She always had these really interesting ingredients and making a shrub and all these things that I had no idea what they were. So around this time, my oldest son becomes of drinking age. Mm-hmm. And if, and at the time he actually became a brewer. And so the plan was for him to learn all about beverage management and making cocktails and all that. And my younger son, we knew it's going to be a chef. So the goal was for them to have a restaurant and someday. And so Zachary started, he was still living at home and he started getting a job and then he would have this cash to buy the makings for cocktails. So let me just tell you, by the time both of them were sort of through school, still living at home and trying to get on their feet and find work and all of that, we had the best time at home (laughs) because between a chef and somebody who can make cocktails, pretty darn good. And I'm no slouch in the kitchen either. Like we just (laughs) love eating and drinking. So Zachary had an idea for a cocktail and I pitched it to Melissa and she was like, oh yeah, that'd be great. So for a while, Zachary actually became the person creating the cocktails and we would set up these elaborate images for the magazine. He's also a photographer, so he could take the photos and it became a thing. So I, I, can make a cocktail. I I feel like I've lost my confidence in more recent years, but I still can make a darn good drink. Well, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. It was new to me and I really thought it was cool. (laughs) And, and you weren't so much into the bourbon. No, I'm such a fair weather. I'm a sweet tooth. I guess I couldn't, I, I couldn't say I'm a fair weather drinker. I don't drink much, but when I do, I like to have something sweet, sweet wines or cocktail, but yeah, probably the sweetest tooth of anyone I've ever met. <laughs> I know. I think, well, when I travel, I, especially, that was a bad example for you. Cause I was traveling when I travel, <laughs> I eat so much chocolate, but you know, every time we zoom or talk, I am eating chocolate every single time. I don't know how that. Yeah, it's true. It's my reward it's true. system. And, and you like, what do they call them again? The candy that we call them raisinettes glass at raisins. 
Lost that race. <laughs> yeah, in Canada, there. I now know that that is your favorite. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I really got into glossette raisins in university playing volleyball, and my my girlfriend and I played volleyball together. And every time she picked me up, she had a massive thing of glossette raisins, and we would eat them just before a game. So that was fun. <laughs> it's probably a perfect snack because it's so sweet and sugary. It gives you a nice yeah. little boost. I know. I love it. Okay, so and you are also an ambassador for Benina. So what was that like? So they have a program where you can be an ambassador. I don't know if it's currently as long as it was back then, but it was a three-year program back then. That was amazing and terrifying and so many things. So, so at the time I was working on an article, I, I pitched an article for GenQ that was about sewing machines and we actually, it created a whole series. So we decided that we would do a three-part series beginner, intermediate, and advanced, and an introduction to sewing machines. Like what are the features that you would look for if you're purchasing a new machine, if you're a beginner versus you're an everyday quilter who has a little more experience. And then what if you want all the bells and whistles? What would that look like? So I then also pitched an article about embroidery because I just thought that that could be really interesting. And what kind of products are out there for quilters that involve embroidery? There are an awful lot of companies that make in the hoop quilting designs, not only machine quilting, but also actually piecing the block in the hoop. So I knew this and I wanted to do it. (laughs) So I Mm -hmm. thought, hmm, I wonder if there's a company that would loan me a machine just for a few months while I work on this article. Somehow I mentioned it to Bernina because I thought, well, they're down the road for me. They literally were, I lived very close to where their, their headquarters is. And it was at market and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, we can loan you machines, no problem. And so I go home, I kind of forget about it. And then I remember, oh shoot, I've got this article due. I really need to get a machine. So I email the person and it's like, hey, I forgot, you know, I kind of do still need a machine. Are you still willing to loan me one? And the person gave me this very short response. and was like, didn't they contact you? Talk to this person. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing I know, they send me paperwork and it's for a loaner machine in the ambassador program. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> and so I go to Gen Q because I'm like, I don't know that I can be an ambassador, like work for a magazine. And they were like, I actually probably would be okay. And we came up with an agreement. Yeah. And so they send me in it like a full bells and whistles embroidery machine. And I got to use that for three years and it was amazing. But the nice thing, the best part, I think about best and worst part was they have a retreat every year for the ambassadors. And it's usually in December. It's like a day and a half program and they have two different slots for all of the ambassadors. So you could pick A or B based on when you want to come. And so I'm like, oh, great. So Terry's one at the same time. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is gonna be awesome. Terry's gonna come. She stayed in my house. We go and I get there and I realized I am completely 100% surrounded by people who are award-winning quilters. Like yeah. one Houston. Like uh, there, there were people who've won Houston more than once in that yeah. program and me. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> the experts in the industry. <laughs> right? And I'm like, and, and me. I'm like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? But the nice thing was that over the course of those two days, you get all kinds of classes on the newest machines. 
right? Yeah. So it worked out. I got to meet people. The next year we come back and they tell us we need to bring something, mm-hmm. like something we've made for show and tell. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> what am I going to bring? Intimidating. And, and I've got to show it in front of all these people who've won Houston. You yeah. know, like it's oh, no. insane. So I actually spent three days making a new bag from scratch that I completely collaged and embroidered. And I made a star Wars bag and I brought it and actually was really proud of it because I was like, Hey, okay. I can actually, sew, (laughs) I can do things and I can, I did all different techniques on it, applique and, and embroidery and, and all kinds of things. And so I was like, all right, I can actually, sew, but it still was really hard to stand up in front of everyone and show them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. That's a, it's a cool experience, right? Chalk it up it to really a great, is. great learning experience and yeah. good. And so that's probably, it was three years you did that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Now this next question, I love to ask all of my creative friends, this next question, I ask it on every podcast. What brings you joy? <sighs> My kids. <laughs> Is it okay if it's not a quilting related? Oh yeah, for sure. Your kids. Um, sure. I love my kids. They're like the biggest spark of joy in my entire life. And they're all incredibly creative in their own ways. Oh, that's so sweet. Okay. So we're going to break for our sponsors, but when we come back, we're going to talk about Tracy's tips on entering a project in a magazine and the Quilt and Tell podcast. We'll be right back. Okay. This is a really cool new feature of the new editing software used by Quilter on Fire. We can create content in the middle of editing a podcast by adding a voice. You can hear that this is a man's voice which is pretty cool if I do say so myself. So here's the content that Brandy wants to add. Now Tracy has no idea, but we are going to add in a secret little surprise right after the break. It's an audio clip or actually a cameo appearance by two people she knows and loves. You don't want to miss this. We'll be right back. Northcott Fabrics are famous to quilters for their Stonehenge and O Canada collections. Right here on this podcast, we give away fabric from Northcott Collections, Banyan Batiks, and Figo Fabrics. Look for all of these at your local quilt shop. Northcott, cottons that feel like silk. Are you ready for some quilt destination travel? I'm guiding a tour of quilters to the Birmingham Festival of Quilts in England in August 2022, and another tour to Japan in November 2022 to experience a quilt show there as well. I'm so excited to get on the road and have some fun, and I'd love to have you join me. Go to quilteronfire.com events or call Judy directly at Opulent Quilt Journeys at one 877 235-3767 to find out more and book your trip today. And now we're back with the Quilter on Fire podcast. I have Ginger and Lori here from the Quilt and Tell podcast, and this is a special surprise. Tracy doesn't even know about this, but I brought them in to chat about their co-host. So this is so much fun. I wanted to ask you each a couple of questions. So welcome, ladies. Thank you for joining us on the show. Oh, it's oh. fun to be here. Definitely. This is awesome. We love keeping secrets. Yeah, I just thought this would be a cute little super secret surprise. And okay, so I've got three questions lined up and I just, I just thought this would be cute. Tracy was such a gem on the show. We had so much fun and I just thought, you know, I'm getting to know her a little better. We've got to rib her a little bit. So the first question is, well, let's go with Lori first and then we'll ask Ginger. The first question is, is Tracy Mooney a troublemaker behind the scenes? <laughs> 
See, I can't think of any time when I have found her to be a troublemaker. <laughs> she is inventive, though. When they decided to do my retirement quilt, oh, she and Ginger just had a lot of fun because I didn't know. And, and they were just, they made up all sorts of stories. Just oh, it was all Tracy. It was all and Tracy. I just followed her lead. <laughs> Oh, that is so great. And how about you, Ginger? Do you think she's a troublemaker? I wouldn't call her a troublemaker, but I would call her a go-getter. Like if she puts something in her mind, man, there's just nothing until she gets it done. It's like, she just does not stop. So I think it's better to describe her as that, as opposed to a troublemaker. <laughs> a go-getter for sure. Yes. Okay. And Lori, if you had to replace Tracy as the show host, which movie star would you choose? Well, see, I don't know anything about any of the movie stars that have any quilting background. So I think I just want somebody handsome and <clears throat> John Travolta, maybe, <laughs> or Richard Gere, or, you know, <laughs> maybe we could dream up something to talk about. <laughs> that is so funny I was expecting some you know Ginger Rogers I don't know <laughs> but you're picking the fellas that is really yes <laughs> I love I love that she went with the fellas you yeah, know when right. I I didn't even have to think twice about it it's so funny because when I think of Tracy she had all that red hair when we first met her and it's gone she's gone blonde now but yeah. oh man right away I thought of uh Bryce Dallas Howard because oh. uh, she's got that beautiful red hair. And yeah. when I think of her, I think of her in like Jurassic Park where she is just taking down those dinosaurs and she's just like in charge. She's the one like I that's what I think of when I think of Tracy. Like she oh. just definitely takes charge and goes. And yeah, I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that sounds like a perfect fit. OK, so, Lori, what is your favorite thing about your co-host, Tracy? OK, this one was so easy for me because. Tracy is an idea gal. You can present her with just about any thought in the world and she has all sorts of ways to make it work or swing it a little bit differently. An idea gal. Oh, that's just great. really good at, at coming up with new and fun things. Oh, that is so sweet. What a great attribute in a podcast host, right? And how yeah. about you, Ginger? Oh, hands down. First thing I thought of was her passion. She, and I'm not just talking passion for quilting, which she definitely has. There's no doubt about that, but just everything. She just, everything that she tackles in life, she just does it with full passion. And whether it's her family, her friends, it's work, whatever passion, that's what I think of. And that's my favorite thing about Tracy. Oh, I love it. And you know what, when I met her for the first time, we just clicked. And I, I agree with you guys. She just has this something. Sometimes you just meet a person and they just get it. So this was so fun. Thank you guys so much for coming in. It's my secret special guest. I think Tracy's going to love it when she finally listens to the podcast. Now I want to tell you guys, Tracy has no idea we've done this. When the yes. podcast airs, she's actually going to hear it for the first time. So Lori and Ginger, thank you so much for coming in and being a special guest on the show. Oh my goodness. You thank so you. Welcome. Yes. Thank you so much. You're the best. You're <laughs> awesome. So <laughs> keep you. doing what you're doing. <laughs> oh, thanks. And now after that fun surprise, we're back to the interview with Tracy Mooney of the Quilt and Tell podcast. Here we go. 
Okay. So I love this idea of giving quilters tips on getting their writing or their quilts or their designs into magazines. So what do you suggest for someone wanting to get their idea in a quilt magazine for the first time? Okay. So first I'm going to tell you, go out to the store or the library and look through all of the quilting magazines Mm -hmm. and find one that really resonates with you. Quilting magazines have very different styles and, and sometimes just eclectic and there's a lot of different things, but if it's, if you've got a particular style, you want to find a magazine that sort of matches your style, or at least at the very least that you like, Mm -hmm. it should be something that you actually appreciate what's in the magazines. So then you will go onto the quilting website for that magazine. And there's always a spot that says submissions. Okay. Or send your quilt to us or share your quilt with us, that kind of stuff. And there will be instructions for what you need. So for us, the quilt needs to be never before seen on, you can't share it on social media before you make it. You can't share a photo of it on Instagram. It has to be completely unique and not shown anywhere before, not published anywhere before, not in a book, not somebody else's idea. It needs to be your fresh idea. Now, that being said, any old quilting pattern, like a block is in public domain. So if your quilt, if you've got an interesting twist on a log cabin, or even just a beautiful log cabin in some new fabric collection that you really want to make, that's okay. There will also be information on the website, or we even publish it in our magazines. There's a page that'll say, if you want to join us and submit a thing, this is what you do. You're going to email whoever the person is and ask to be added to the submission call list. Yeah, that's great. So that's a great way if you're thinking about it and you just, you're not quite sure of what you would want to submit, get on the list because they do calls and sometimes it'll spark something. You'll see whatever it is and say, Ooh, that's interesting. I think I have an idea around that. And then you'll submit an image. So you can use EQ and design and just populate an image and send it to us. You can draw on graph paper and color it in, or even just send it in pencil and put a description of what you're thinking. You can take a photo of a quilt you've already made that hasn't been shared on social media, but you know, you can send that in. Any of those options will work. As far as articles, same thing, but you'll just email your idea to whoever the acquisitions editor is. And then they usually forward it on. So whoever our acquisitions editor will send, if there's an article idea, they'll send it to whoever they think the best fit is. Yeah. Or sometimes all of us, because there's only, we only have three editors, at least in our office. So we kind of get to pick and choose and decide who fights over it. So once they send in ideas and there's usually a cutoff date for that particular issue. And then as the editor, we go in and we go through the list and we choose what we think will work. Oh, that's it's pretty really easy. Cool. Yeah. And, and you can always also just email into acquisitions and ask a question. Yeah. They forward it on to us if we have something more specific, but we're yeah. always happy to answer questions. Okay. So you already mentioned things like once in a while, there's a recipe and you used to have cocktails in the mag. Are there any other things in these two magazines that are kind of consistent every time? Yes. So in Quilt Maker, like I said, we usually do a feature on an artist and we usually do some features on some of the designers who have quilts in that issue. And in Quick and Easy, it's a little bit different. So 
that one really is the story drives the quilt mm-hmm. more than anything. So when I do a call for submissions for quick and easy, what I'll say is, I'll just use the one that's coming out now. The next issue is coming out is all about baby quilts. That is actually the most popular search word on our website. Oh, wow. And I feel like everyone always, you always need a baby quilt. People are always having babies. You always at the last minute are like, oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. The, the shower's next week. I've got to make the quilt this weekend. That kind of stuff. So I actually decided to do sort of a whole issue. It's not really because I really, for each theme, I try to pick at least three quilts that fit whatever that theme is. I think I want to say we have about six or seven baby quilts in that one. And then we've got, we've always got a quilt of valor. We always have a quilt that we consider a weekend warrior. So something that can be completely done in a weekend. There's usually a scrap buster type quilt. I also ask them to submit a story to go with it. Like it's not really like a full you don't need to send in an article, but you do need to send me in a couple of sentences to tell me yeah. what's your go-to baby quilt, or do you have a story around baby quilts? So one person wrote in and she said that she has a lot of, there were a lot of babies in their family. And so she's always making a baby quilt. And by the time the magazine was going to come out, she was going to actually have a new grandbaby. So there's always some sort of twist to go with it. And So that's really the driving force behind quick and easy. So there's always the designer's voice. Yeah. Each pattern. Yeah. That's kind of cool. And you have a brand new lecture. What's that all about? How to create a thing magazine. Right. Right. So I think I touched on that a little bit, but you know, a friend of mine asked me to do put together something and I thought, well, that's interesting because I think people are usually curious about it, but they don't really know what it entails. So I actually take a quilt from the point of submission all the way through to the magazine being printed. So I take you through every single step and even describe every part of it and how how a design evolves from whatever the concept was for the designer to choosing fabrics, to them making it and sending it in, to the photo shoot. All of that stuff gets... So it's, it's a little different. It just gives you a little bit of an idea of what it takes to make a magazine. Plus we do a little trunk show at the end. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of it's neat to see quilts. what goes into it, right? Yeah. It's yeah. neat to see what goes into it. Okay. So, and you also travel a bit for your job. So have mm-hmm. you had a favorite show or a travel destination? Yes. <laughs> this market really has to be the best. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do like, there's a show in Las Vegas. It's called the Sewing Machine Dealer Trade Association and the Vacuum Dealer Trade Association. It's the tiniest show. And what I like about that one is it's smaller and you get more of a chance to talk to people. Uh-huh. Market is huge. Yeah. And it's a little bit overwhelming the first time you go and even subsequent times because mm-hmm. so much is happening in a short period of time. Yeah. So market is probably my very, it's my favorite. It's the first one I ever went to. Yeah. And it's where I would get ideas for the next six months of what was going to happen in my pages. Yeah. And when you say six months, that's because market happens twice a year, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's great. So you just go through the vendor mall and you see everybody and you learn. Yeah. You meet all Yeah. The it's a little different. So there's usually a school, what they call schoolhouse right before um, the day before the show opens. And that's, and it's all, it's kind of crazy. There's actually a schedule. There's multiple rooms happening all at the same time. And you get a booklet 
with the whole catalog of events. And that's where anyone who has a new product, all of the new books, every designer that's got a new fabric collection does a little schoolhouse. And they can range in time from like a quick 10 minute schoolhouse to I think like 20 or 30 minute schoolhouse. And they are amazing. So it's like rapid fire events and you kind of are running between rooms because there's only five minutes in between each session. And, but you get to actually be in the room with Tula Pink and, and Kay Facet and like all of those people, you're right there and they're showing you their quilts and things or the new product or the new book. And it's very cool. And then the vendor mall is a little bit different. Then I've got all these other events. There's, there's sample spree where stores can go and buy different products and, but there's rows and rows and rows of booths and you can go and you can talk to all of these really famous people and, and learn, find little tiny companies that have popped up with a new product and, and sort of get ideas. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So now, okay, <laughs> this is what I've been wanting to talk about the whole time. Let's talk okay, about ready. the podcast. So, okay. <laughs> so where, okay. So if people, no one's ever actually asked me as a podcast host, which is the podcast that I listen to. And this is the one. So Quilt and Tell oh, podcast is a podcast that I love. So where did the idea come from and how long have mm-hmm. you guys been doing it? So we've been doing the podcast for three years, I think. Wow. I was oh yeah, about three years because it's almost my four year anniversary with the company. So it was actually the brainchild of Jared Mayer. He's our executive producer and he just saw it coming. I mean, he literally, I mean, there's a podcast explosion right now. I've, I had thought yeah. podcasts were dead, honestly. <laughs> And he saw it coming and he was like, I think we can do podcasts. And so he actually, they started with Sew and Tell, which are our sister podcast with the sewing team, the garment yeah. sewing team. Yeah. And then we created our podcast and our podcast originally was called the Quilting Company Podcast. And so they, they approached us about the fact that we were going to have to make a podcast and our editorial director at the time she asked us, she had us brainstorm what we thought the podcast should be like. And I thought that what would be the most interesting is if quilters could hear the conversations that happen around our office. Yeah. Because that's the most fun Mm -hmm. is the little side conversations. I mean, really we get into some nitty gritty conversations at the office sometimes over a design that has come in, how to pattern it, how to do a technique. Yeah. And so I just thought that would be interesting. And if we made it very conversational, I thought it would be fun. And so at first I wasn't even chosen to be part of the podcast. And I actually wrote my editorial director an email and was like, I really need to be part of this. Yeah. I was kind of, I was kind of obnoxious about it, but I just felt, felt really passionate about it. And I'm still not quite sure why, other than I just felt like I needed to be part of it. And so they decided that it would be fun to have an expert quilter, Lori, mm-hmm. an intermediate quilter, me, and then a beginner quilter. And at the time it was Carrie Sisk. She did our social media and she, Lori taught her how to quilt. Yeah. And so that was the beginning of the framework. And we came up with ideas for segments and, and that kind of stuff and started doing podcast. And then about, I'm going to say six months later, F&W 
goes bankrupt. And we don't know quite what's going to happen. And our editorial director comes to us and she says, you all need to make a decision whether you're staying or if you're not. She said, just make it personally. You don't have to tell anyone about it, but you need to decide what you're going to do. And I knew I was just going to stay. I had only just moved to Colorado. And so I was like, I'm just, we're just going to see what happens. Yeah. And she left and she was our producer. And so, okay, what are we going to do now? We need to go on because we had sponsors. Yeah. And so the whole next season was already paid for. So we needed to come through with content. And so somehow I sort of stepped up and was like, okay, let's decide who we're going to have on the show and what's going to happen. And probably a few months in after like we got purchased and all that and like things settled down slightly, Jared came to me and was like, yeah, you're the producer now. (laughs) That was pretty much it. When Carrie left, we had to figure out who was going to step up and Ginger volunteered. She was like, please, please, please. please." So sweet. And she works on our video team. And so I think Ginger's the only one you haven't met yet. I know. And Um, it's so funny. I absolutely love her. I love her already just because of her laugh. Her Mm -hmm. laugh is so adorable and contagious. Uh, I can't wait to meet her in person. But yeah, yeah, she's, and she's just like, she, I think all of us are just like the way we are on the yeah. show yeah. kind of laid back. And we just talk about stuff. It kind of cracks me up because we have, you, you must have reviews on your mm-hmm. thing. And, yeah. and it's funny. Cause there's a couple that like stick in my craw, <laughs> like just, just bug me. Cause I'll go on to see where, how our numbers are doing. And, and on one of the pages that I use to look at that, the comments, newest comments bubble up. And there was one that was just like, what is your brother-in-law coming to visit have to do with quilting? Oh. One star. And I was just uh-huh. like, all right, well, they're clearly not our uh-huh. listener because we're yeah. going to gab about everything. Yeah. <laughs> and especially in the first few minutes. So if you don't stick around for the first five minutes, you're not going to get anything out of yeah. our show because we're just catching up and talking about what we're working on yeah. or what's happening in our lives. But if you don't make it to the guest, you're not going to get anything out of our podcast. So let's give a little shout out to your co-hosts. So tell, tell us who they are. Tell us who they are. Tell, just tell me a little snippet about each of them. Oh goodness. (laughs) All right. So Lori Baker, Lori Baker actually just retired. So Uh she, but we've kept her on the show. We have had many comments that said we are not allowed to break up the team. So she still does the podcast, but she moved to Nebraska. She has been Oh my gosh. Sewing for well over 50 years. Yeah. So her wealth of knowledge about sewing and quilting, and she's done garments and quilts and all kinds of things. And she was a FAF educator for a while. So she knows embroidery. She knows every, like she just knows everything, but she's so laid back and down to earth and very willing to share where she's made terrible mistakes on her quilts and how she fixed it. Uh-huh. She's told stories about having like these show quilts that she's made when she was working for Puff and she accidentally sliced the fabric after it was quilted and covered it with Swarovski crystals, you know, <laughs> or she'll cover it with embroidery and put a little like stick on that section. Or yeah. something. So she's very, very willing to share her knowledge and oh. she's just amazing. Ginger, she works for our sewing team and she's a video producer. And so she works on the video side of our company. She is a complete newbie. So Lori handed her a machine one day and told her to go home and learn. (laughs) And so only been quilting for a few years, but as you said, she's got an infectious laugh. Um, She's very enthusiastic about quilting. 
And she's, she learned quilting by shooting videos with expert quilters like Bonnie Hunter and Lynette Jennings and people like that, where she actually had to watch them sew for three days straight. Yeah. And so that's how she learned how to quilt and she's amazing. Okay. So what are some of the segments you guys have on your podcast? Oh my gosh. So we always have a guest. That's our open studio segment. And we've had everyone from, we've had Alex Anderson on the show three times. I think we had Bonnie Hunter on the show three times, but we also have everyday quilters too. And, and so some of the designers we work with fabric designers, we've had Till Pink, we've had, we had Ebony Love on the show. We've this season, we've got a bunch of really cool people I'm working on. I'm working on Kimber Bell. Uh, to come on the show. And so that's our main segment. That's at least a half an hour. And then in the opening, we just chat and catch up and we talk about what we're working on. And then we have a fine finishes segment, which is hopefully a controversial topic. Like, do you press your seams opener to the dark side? (laughs) Oh, the controversy. Something something silly. That's a controversy that people have differing opinions on. And we've been trying to occasionally do a two minutes of happiness segment where we can actually sort of send something positive out into the world and give people a challenge to do something to bring light into the quilting world. Yeah. And sometimes you actually, I love this part. Sometimes you mention listener emails. So tell us about some of the best ones you've had. Oh my goodness. We've had amazing, <laughs> we get amazing letters all the time. And it's everything from a woman wrote in to tell us about her oldest UFO that she had just finally finished. Aww. And it was, if she had started it when her son was in college <laughs> and it was 30 years later wow. <laughs> and she had finished it during COVID. We had several people who wrote in who were frontline health workers who were quilters who had made thousands of masks. I mean, things that would give you goosebumps after I did a show with Alex Anderson and Joanne Sharp, their yeah. best yeah. friends, Joanne yeah. Sharp is an artist and she was sort of pushing Alex in this creative way of working creative muscles with painting and drawing and things like that. That was sort of Alex's old college day experiences and bringing them back to her to sort of rejuvenate. And we had this really, like really hard heart. I actually started to tear up during the segment because we were talking about creativity and how it gets lost as you age and like have kids and get caught up in motherhood and, and that kind of stuff. And I guess more emails about that episode than any other episode. One woman wrote in and she said that she was sitting in tears, typing the computer while she was listening to it, because she knew that she needed to refill and recharge her batteries. And so she was giving herself permission to take the day and do nothing but be creative. And it was stuff like that, where it's just, wow, it knocks your socks off. Cause first of all, you're like, wow, somebody's listening, yeah. but then to have them inspired by what you're talking about or a guest or a segment, it's just, it's yeah. amazing. Oh, that's great. Now you mentioned you changed your schedule a little bit over the pandemic, but how did the podcast shift over the pandemic? Oh my goodness. So I, a few of us in the office saw the pandemic coming. Mm -hmm. Other people were sort of in denial 
And we really were in a position where we were still dealing with a lot of paper files, like handing folders to each other. We very much were planted in old school ways of creating a magazine. And we had to shift as fast as possible to doing absolutely everything online. I have never been so busy in my whole life. Everybody, all of my friends on Facebook were like making bread and bored and couldn't figure out what to do. And I was so stressed out. I was working at least 12 hours a day. So it was a really hard transition for me because I, I think our whole team, just because it already was a lot of like putting together a magazine or for me, two magazines and a podcast, it's an intense amount of work. And we were adjusting to everything, adjusting to dealing with video conferences and all that stuff. So we realized people were home and bored and scared. And somehow we came up with this idea that we should probably do the podcast weekly. (laughs) um, Let's just add all this extra. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, and we tried to make it as easy as possible. So we, Ginger, Lori, and I got together and we were like, okay, what can we do? We can't double the work. Yeah. And putting together, having a guest, I mean, it it takes a lot of back work of coordinating the schedule. And for you, it's easy for me. It's a little more complicated because I'm dealing with five people's schedules, including our audio producer. So it's really a lot of juggling. And so we decided that we could probably pull off weekly podcasts. If we kept the schedule of having a guest every other week and on the in-between the extra episodes, the bonus episodes, it would just be the three of us talking. Yeah. And that's what we did. And people loved it. Like I thought it was crazy because I'm, I've only recently sort of realized it's not, I listen to my own podcast because of course I've got to edit it and all that, but the letters that we've gotten about how people have felt like we're friends of theirs. Mm-hmm. They, we filled the gap of their not being able to hang out with their quilting buddies anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a connection there that's really unique and humbling to me. Like it's very humbling to me. It, my head does not get any bigger. Like I feel smaller because I'm like, wow, like people actually feel like we're friends of theirs and we've helped them through this really difficult situation. So that makes my heart swell, but we definitely, it was intense. That whole experience was a lot, but we just tried to make the best of it and be silly and be our usual jokey self and make Ginger laugh and make Tracy cry. Cause I think that's (laughs) what we do. (laughs) (laughs) And I think your fans love that. They love it. Okay, so I have a little something I love to do every podcast, and it's called the lightning round robin. Are you ready? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. There, okay. I, I, I know some of the questions that are coming. I'm a little worried, but okay. You can do it. You can do it. I can do it. So what is your favorite notion? Oh, this one. <laughs> I've been thinking about this one for weeks because I'm like, oh, I don't know. How do you choose? Um, it's really hard for me to choose because I've been sewing long enough that I have favorites of everything. Mm-hmm. I have favorite pins. I have a favorite rotary cutter. I am going to say, I could say my newest favorite. Yeah. How sure. about we say my newest favorite? Okay. My newest favorite is called quilting and crafting spray. Oh, and it is by faultless. And 
it is a it's a polymer based spray so it's not like sizing or starch that is a corn like starch is a corn starch based yeah and it attracts bugs after a while oh, okay this is a polymer based spray now they gave me this bottle at festival and I thought yeah yeah okay that's fine <laughs> and then I decided to use it to work on a project that I'm currently working on mm. and it was life-changing ah okay what is on your design <laughs> wall right now it's top secret oh you can't tell me <laughs> I'm is tell it you. is it for I'm you or the you this okay it is yes it's for both I was sent advanced yardage of tulip pink fabric oh <laughs> <laughs> And so I am making an oversized, I can say what it is, right? Sure. I am making an oversized log cabin that is super scrappy. Oh, fun. Oh, that's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see the fabric. Okay. What color do you choose most when making a quilt? Red. Red. Okay. And as a podcast personality, what do you listen to while quilting? Oh, that's a good question. So I listen, probably listen to music the most, okay. or I watch a movie I have already seen before. I get so thought up, caught up in sewing what I'm yeah. doing yeah. that I go, what did they just say? <laughs> <laughs> so it's got to be something I know. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything quilters would never know about you? I actually earned my Screen Actors Guild card oh. years ago. So I actually got to, you know, vote on the Screen Actors Guild Award and got like screeners of movies and oh, that's did commercials cool. and some industrial films and things like that. Oh my gosh. What <laughs> kind of commercials did you do? Commercials for like ice cream. And oh. um, I, did, I did a film that they show at conventions for like a brand new toothbrush. And oh. I did a video that was shown at the Boston Aquarium for seven years. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> okay. What is your escape and downtime from the quilting business? Ooh, I hate to say, but I watch more quilting videos on YouTube. <laughs> That's just, probably, like, just, that would probably be a common answer for quilters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm currently reading Dave Grohl's book. Okay. And uh, so I read and listen to music. My husband and I love to go to concerts. Uh, so hopefully eventually I get back to going to concerts, but yeah. Okay. And the last question is, do you have any furry friends in your studio? I have a furry friend sitting next to me right now. We have two dogs. So Tessie and Maya. Maya is a Vishla. And Tessie is a West Highland white terrier or Westie. Oh. Oh. Okay. So let's, before we start wrapping things up, I want to mention your website, which is quiltingdaily.com, where we can go to find the podcast and subscribe mm -hmm. to the magazines. So Tracy, where's the best place for people to connect with you or the podcast or the magazine on social media? Oh, follow me on Instagram. Okay. My handle is so supportive, S-E-W, supportive. Okay. And is that kind of a mix of personal and the magazine and the podcast or what is yes. that? Okay. That is my personal Instagram. So you will find, I will, if you leave me a comment, I will reply. People send me messages there. That's the best place to find me. Okay. That sounds great. And let's get into this week's podcast giveaway. So maybe we should do a Yay. drum roll. Hey, let's do a drum roll. Okay. <laughs> okay, Tracy, take it away. Let us know what it is. All right. So we are giving away, I'm going to send whoever wins 
um, two digital downloads of current magazine. So Quilt Maker Magazine, you'll get the March, April issue and the February, March issue of Queasy. So those are like just hot off the presses. And then I'm going to throw in a little bonus. So I actually, while I've been working for magazines for really a long time, and while I have published patterns of kids projects, I actually just recently did my first pattern of my own and it actually made the cover. Now, before you say anything, <laughs> I actually wasn't part of choosing the cover and I didn't want my quilt to be the cover. <laughs> but when it turned, I had to keep looking at it. And like my whole team was like, no, no, yours is the best. Yours is the best. Aww. And I'd go, no, 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 I can't put my quilts on the cover. And then I stepped back and I finally looked at it and I was like, if anybody else had made this quilt, I would have wanted it for the cover. Oh, that's totally nice. all my favorite colors. So it is a pattern for a log cabin quilt that is done using layer cakes. It's got a really fun technique for cutting up the fabrics and sorting them. And it's totally addictive. Oh, and we all love layer cakes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's such a generous prize, Tracy. So thank you so much. And to remind everybody how to get in on that prize, if you're signed up for the Quilter on Fire emails, you will get the podcast preview each week. But if you missed it today, go to the YouTube trailer for this episode, Quilter on Fire YouTube channel, and you'll always see the link in the show description below the video. So as we wrap up today, Tracy, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation? Mm. If you love quilting, just pursue it in whatever it looks like. And if you have a dream that seems like it's too big, it's not too big. Just dream big, take one step at a time, and eventually you'll hit your your goal. Oh, that's such great advice. Tracy, it's been so nice to hear your story today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for asking me. And that was my interview with Tracy Mooney. It was really cool to get a glimpse into the world of magazine publishing and introduce you to another wonderful podcast. I often say on this podcast that I love meeting my guests and I have so many new friends because of this podcast. But with Tracy, it was even a bit more special because when we met for the first time, it was because we were actually rooming with another mutual friend, Terry Lucas, at a B&B in Houston for Quilt Festival. I can't even tell you the hilarity that ensued. So sometimes you meet someone and you instantly know they have the same sense of humor and a positive outlook on life and they just get it. So Tracy gets me and I'm so happy to call her my friend. Now, are you loving this podcast? Take a moment right now to think of a friend who might love it too. I'd be so thrilled if you would share this podcast or write a review on your podcast app. The kindest thing you can do to support a creator is to introduce them to your friends. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.